God, every time I hear that, I want to run through a wall. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Welcome back to yet another cracking installment of the Map Round Show. This is the Built in New York series. We've moved on from California, you know. It's uh, now into the big leagues. <laughs> With me uh, on the line uh, from New York, of all places, uh, is Dorothy Grant. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for thanks for having me here. Happy to be here. And I mean, honestly, who needs sunshine when you can have snow? So much more snow. I know, that's why I moved to Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, we've got a lot to get into today. I think what you're doing is really, uh, really, really interesting and solves a unique problem um, for, uh, for, many, uh, for many creatives out there, influencers out there, models and things like that. So we'll get into all the meat and the potatoes. So you are the co- one of the co-founders of uh, Caveat App, um, and uh, we're going to share your story with the world today. So uh, Dorothy... Uh, give us the backstory to this. Like, what's the origin story to this particular uh, startup? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the origin story has a lot to do with the founders, um, myself included, kind of in that story, because it really comes from personal experience. So kind of have to dive into a little bit of my background, but I promise I will circle back to the origin story of, of Caveat. Uh, so I was scouted when I was uh, 16, 17 years old for modeling. I was signed with one of the biggest agencies in the world. I was signed worldwide. Um, My parents were like, I thought you were going to college. I was like, nope, going to go model instead. Uh, So I did that full time. I lived between New York, Paris, London, Milan, worked in all these cool places. Um, It was a really unique experience. You grew up pretty quickly. Um, And so I did that for two, three years full time right after high school. And from that experience, I really saw firsthand a lot of the problems in this industry. Um, it's an industry that has standardized some pretty predatory practices. Um, and at that point in my life, I just needed to take a step back. Um, I basically had a career, which is kind of weird for a 20-year-old at that time to say. Um, but yeah, I basically had a career in fashion. And so I decided to do the complete opposite of modeling, which in which you have like no control, um, and do computer science in which you have so much more control. Um, I was like, I'll just, you know, code everything. So I studied computer science in my undergrad, decided to do it in my master's program as well. And through my master's is where I met my co-founders. And together we kind of realized that we had similar experiences, um, through our lived experiences, through shared experiences and, So when I was studying computer science, I specifically studied machine learning. So I worked as a machine learning researcher at NASA for a year. I then got more interested in natural language processing, which is basically all things artificial intelligence, but focused purely on text data. So I got really into this section of it, and that's what I came to do my master's in. And together we realized like, hey, you know, there's a a lot of contracts and turnover when you're dealing with this space and um, in the creator space specifically. And it's kind of the first step that people get themselves into. And it's the first step that's actually like really predatory, not to overuse that word, but it'll come up a few times, I'm sure. Um, And so it's this very first step into the industry. And it's one that kind of bakes in these not so great clauses. And so we were like, One of my co-founders has a legal background and she's also an influencer. My other co-founder is a software engineer. And so we're like, hey, together we can actually like build something with my like natural language processing experience. And so that's pretty much how Caveat was born. To give full credit, my boyfriend came up with the name. I came up with the K part. So, you know, 
what's more important. Um, so if we're talking specifically about name, that's it. But the idea itself is really a, a function of the three of us together. Fantastic. So um, obvious question, uh, what is NASA asking you to research <laughs> in the AI space? I mean, surely they have like, re- you know, engineers that actually build AI. <laughs> well, I was one of them. Okay. Um, no, it was, it was through, that's a great question. I was, I was helping make high frequency population density estimations at a high frequency from satellite imagery. So I was one of the people at NASA, not looking to the, to the space, but looking from space to the earth. Um, so using nighttime light satellite images, using predictive modeling to basically correlate with population. And then based on that, make population density estimations to help with natural disaster relief aid. So yes, I was an intern doing this. Um, my advisor He's like been like a little bit of a mentor, but definitely guided me along the way. Did I lie in my interview about how much I knew how to do? Yes, I did lie, but you know, somehow I made it through. <laughs> well, um, great to have a, a rocket scientist on the show. Thank you. Uh, so, <laughs> so, um, let's talk a bit more about like your experience, uh, in, in the, in the fashion industry, because, um, it, it really is the, it was the seed that led to, you know, what you guys have done as a team uh, with caveat app. So, uh, for our, for our viewers around the world, um, who, who need to know like this origin story, like walk us through exactly like in your own words and as much as you want to share at this point, like what, what actually happened to you? Um, and how did that actually relate now to the problems that you're solving, you know, with caveat app? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so when I got my first contract, I was, I think, 17 years old. Um, and in that very first contract, it's like a 20, 30 page document full of really, really complex language. I was not prepared to understand it by any means. And in fact, I still think today if I was given that document, age, age is a factor, but it's not the only factor. It's just a question of accessibility. I don't have a legal education. So I get this document. I have no idea what it says. So in my very first contract, um, since my parents were still kind of involved at that phase, uh, as a minor, they reached out to a family friend and um, who's a lawyer, and she read over this contract. She helped me kind of find parts that were not great, not do not all that. But of course, she was a family friend. She just kind of did it for free. Like if I I could not afford her out of my own pocket. Um, and so, based like an armed with that information, I went in and negotiated my contract. And yes, I was 17 with one of the biggest agencies in the world, but it just seemed like the the thing I was supposed to do. My parents were like, yes, this is what you need to do and, and do it. And it's like any negotiation process. They said no to some things and yes to some things. And that was that. Um, and so moving forward, I was with this agency for a little bit. And during just that experience alone, I saw some of my friends get like taken advantage of in, in ways that I wasn't. And I was just so flabbergasted honestly um as to like what the situation was and and why that was and a lot of it so for example one clause I negotiated out was basically there was a clause that said hey we can charge you for anything we want crazy like that was it there was no conditions just like Mm -hmm. we have control over your finances and we can charge you for what we want um and I had originally asked to take it out or I think I, I think I just gave a condition to it. I basically said um, over like under $50, but over $50, you need my explicit permission for anything you're going to charge me. 
And that like little fix that sounds maybe a little bit trivial made such a big difference. I saw my friends get indebted by thousands and thousands of dollars for these huge charges. And while I still got like indebted in some cases, it was proportionally a lot lower because they could only kind of go up to $50 at a time. Um, And so there was things like that. uh, That was like, just like a very visual one. And then I had another friend who basically just got deported overnight um, her agency just dropped her. Uh, she she was Canadian, so I'm sorry. Um, uh, yes, yeah, so I had a friend who got deported overnight, and just like from one day to the next, just had to pack up, go home. Um, and in fact, like in the morning when she woke up, she was like already like an illegal status at that point, which is insane. Um, so it's a lot of it's not necessarily just like this like glam aspect of things. Like oh, I didn't get the best show, or I didn't get this. It's like realistically your livelihood um it has to do with your your legal statuses your your housing a lot of models live in model apartments um which is like a whole different discussion we can have on another level but basically like there's a lot of different situations in which agencies can and do exploit models and uh by arming yourselves in the contract is like the first step of preventing those situations and so I left uh, that agency after a little bit and I went on to another agency and I signed with them and, you know, the favor of like the one time asking the lawyer was kind of up. So I was like, all right, my mom and I got this. We'll, we'll read it over by ourselves. And so I sent the contract to my mom and for reference, my mom's first language isn't even English. Um, she's French. So, you know, just also add, add kind of a, a basis there. And so we get this contract, we find a few clauses that we think look a little sketchy. We take them out and they're willing to negotiate everything. I think the one thing they didn't negotiate is rate, but that's not fine. Like they have their rate, they kind of stick to it. But I mean, I asked, so like, um, like, no, they did not dismiss me because I asked, which is a common misconception. And so, but in that clause or in that contract where I didn't have any other outside help, I, I, I tried to read it over. I let slip like an auto renewal clause, which I didn't know even existed, but it does, um, which means that my contract automatically renews without my explicit permission. Uh, I, a lot of things, and, and the one that's the most prominent, which I didn't even find out, this was in, I don't know, 2016 ish, 2017 maybe. And I only just found out like six months ago, that this was what my contract said when I had my co-founder look at it for me, who has a legal background. I was like, please tell me what this means. She was like, you said that you gave away all of your consent. Like you, in this contract, you are giving them complete rights. And if you say no to a client, no matter how uncomfortable, no matter for a family emergency, no matter what, they can fire you for that reason. And it's just like insane situations like that, where you're like, this shouldn't be baked into a, it's, realistically it's a labor rights issue it's it's about a gig economy an entire labor force and it's not just this fun like let's go stand in front of a camera it's people's livelihoods so that was kind of my personal experience as to like the difference between having someone help and someone not help and so I wanted to kind of work towards creating that intermediate step of you might not have your lawyer friend or an actual lawyer which is great um go lawyers. They're just expensive. Uh, and so kind of as a team, we wanted to create this intermediate, intermediate step. Mm-hmm. So, um, so there's, there's two things I wanted to double click on there. One is the fashion industry in general, because it seems to me 
um, that from the outside, to your point, it's quite glamorous, glitzy, you know, uh, you know, it's fashion, it's fashion industry. Like, you know, you have a certain, it gives a certain perspective out there. Um, and from my experience, like I've heard of some things, but I don't think a lot of, you know, entrepreneurs and just people in general, like fully appreciate just how systemic some of the issues are within the fashion industry um, and how, um, and, and how it hasn't actually moved with the times. Uh, you know, there's, there's obviously like equality, diversity, inclusion, me too, all this kind of stuff. And it seems to me like from the outside, the, the industry, and I'm definitely not an expert, but just from what I've heard, it hasn't quite moved on with the times with, so is that true? Um, and could you share like an example, just one example of like, of, of like the systemic issue within the fashion industry? Cause I think it's really important to land before we get into like how caveat app is actually looking to resolve not only the legalese issues, because it is actually broader than just legalese. Yeah, absolutely. And like, honestly, a shout out louder for the people in the back, 100%. Um, it's just not moved forward. It was basically like the last 50 years have just stayed put. Um, and even as many people try to exploit it and and just speak up about their experiences and the negative experiences, it, it just seems very uh, against change, even if in this case, it's a positive change that we're seeking. Um, and so I guess like one example, I guess, just from my, my personal experiences, I worked the Met Gala. I did a spread in Cosmopolitan. I was in Vogue. I worked with Gomme de Garçon, which is a big brand, all these things. And I did not get paid a dime for any of those jobs I just mentioned. Those are some of the biggest names in fashion. Uh, They bring in millions of dollars a year, a month. I don't know. I don't know combined what they bring in. Um, and yet I was not paid for any of those as a worker. I had to be there. I, I could get fired and yet I would get nothing for it. Um, so I think that's just like one example. There's, there's very few other industries. You wouldn't just ask a software engineer to, you know, just make this app and like, it's, it's, you know, it's for a big brand and you'll get paid an exposure. Like, no, that, that doesn't happen. And also this paid and if you're like a model you're 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 a hanger like in that sense which is fine and that's the job and it's you know can be fun but you don't you don't speak to people you don't get to like sell yourself while you're walking down a runway and you're not sitting there and making a pitch to anyone so um i think that's like just like personally one of the easiest ways to just be like look this has not moved forward but in terms of if anyone's curious and hearing this I highly recommend you uh, check out the Model Alliance. Um, they are an organization, nonprofit organization, which is in essence the closest thing to a union that models have. Models can't unionize for a plethora of reasons, but um, Sarah Ziff, the founder, has built a really amazing community and has made like really, really positive progress. And you should sign the petition for the Fashion Workers Act, which is demanding just the very basics of like, we should get paid with it. And this is all fashion workers, not just models, but like hairstylists, makeup, photographers, all the different aspects of it should get paid for their work and should get paid within a reasonable time frame, which is like, you know, 30, 60 or 90 days. I don't exactly remember which one I should, I think it might be 45 days, but I don't want to quote me. Anyway, get, we'll paid, go with 45. <laughs> get paid within a reasonable amount of time and not two years later. Mm. So, um, it's so weird, man. Like, I don't understand how you can be doing like that extensive work and then not see a, a penny. 
it's a bit like it's crazy, right? And so this is the issue there, I think, um, and maybe the, a great point of departure because, um, I mean, I can't tell you, well, I, you know, I've signed, I don't know, a lot of contracts not knowing like what I'm actually signing because when I read it, I don't understand it. Um, and, and I've like, I've, it's literally put me in a hole. Like I've signed one contract with like, uh, without reading it. And then it cost me like six figures, you know, cause I couldn't get out of it. It was like, well, no, dude, you sign this thing. And like, that's it. We don't care. It's like, no, 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 but I don't need the thing anymore. Like there was no exit for me. There was no way for me to, there's no wiggle room. Um, and so because of that, um, it, you know, just this issue of legalese in general. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. And, it's, you know, in, in your case, you know, you're 16 years old. I mean, like, it's the, the, the models are young girls, you know? And so, like, what experience do they have with when they read a contract? And because they want the, the access to the industry, they, in most cases, I mean, thankfully, you consulted a lawyer. In most cases, they don't even call, consult anyone, you know? Um, and so it winds up, you wind up in situations like that. So, um, let's talk about a caveat app. So you are, as, as for fashion, uh, industry people also, but also it's like, it's for creatives, influencers, things like that. Um, so, so that's your sweet spot. How are you, um, helping, uh, you know, uh, the entrepreneurs, things like this fashion people solve this problem, like get over this, this hurdle of like, Oh my God, like, what is this contract? Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for clarifying that. I know I've been talking a lot about the modeling industry, but that's just because it's like my personal experience and how I came to the idea of caveat. But this caveat is not just for models by any means. It's for creators at large, which has a lot of overlap with the modeling industry in terms of tends to be get tends to get taken advantage of a lot. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's for influencers, um, kind of if you, if you ever signed a brand agreement, like come to us and if not, like we're coming to you soon. So still come to us, <laughs> um, you know, podcasters will be there. We'll be there soon. Um, and, oh no, I'm sorry. I forgot your initial question. No, just, oh, how, how, how does, yeah. So, so how do you guys actually do it? So I've got your website up for everyone. So let's, so how does it work? So let's just say, let's use me as an example. So <laughs> I've got a sponsorship deal with uh, I don't know. Uh, let's think of a relevant one. Uh, Comcast, right? So they want to do like a deal with me and I've got this contract in front of me and I'm like, I don't know what this is. I don't want to, by the way, also cough up, you know, $800 for a lawyer just to proofread the thing uh, for me and to like then explain to me exactly what this contract is. So, so I have this contract, there's caveat app, like what do I do. Yeah, absolutely. So you can upload your contract directly to our platform. We have the beta up and running and once you upload the contract, you on the back end, I can, you know, uh, we'll, we'll focus on you. You within 24 hours will get your results in like a web browser where your contract will basically just have, you'll have your original contract and then you'll have the simplified explanations of each clause. So you hover over the clause and you just get, you know, this is what this clause is actually saying. And it'll be in plain, simple English. There will be no there and afters anywhere in the, in the, in the explanations. And then on top of it, we also offer statistics and insights as to what the implications of actually signing that are. So if your usage rights, all of a sudden it's life rights, you know, that's a pretty extreme case. We'll say, you know, maybe like put a little like alarm bells and say, this is a lot that you would be giving up if, if you signed this. And that means that this company or this brand has rights over XYZ for XYZ. Um, so we basically just like 
explain what it means. And then as we grow our data sets and, and get even more familiarized with um, the type of users and their information, we can also provide insights as to like, you know, 80% of influencers negotiate this clause. You should definitely negotiate it too, or successfully negotiate this clause, or even insights into, um, you know, this type of clause only appears in 1% of contracts could be a red flag, um, or you're missing this common type of clause that's in here. So we really just try to help give as much objective information as possible. We're not giving legal advice, which is made clear through a disclaimer, um, <laughs> But we we really just want to provide the user with knowledge, like information is power. Let's give information. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there. I know being an entrepreneur can be a very lonely experience. You sometimes get stuck, don't you? Well, if you're like me, being stuck sucks. But what if you could access the minds of over 850 CEOs who have built companies generating billions of dollars in revenue and access all of that knowledge in a fraction of a second? Well, the good news is you can literally do that today. What my team have built is Matt Brown AI. It is trained on all the interviews, over 850 of them that I've done to date, all my books, all the knowledge capital that has been generated over the last 10 years right here on the Matt Brown Show. And you can get access to all of that right now for free. So how do you get access to this? Well, head on over to mattbrownshow.com and at the top, you'll see community. Hit that link, sign up. It's absolutely free and you'll be given instant access to Matt Brown AI and a community of over 100,000 subscribers. So that's a really amazing thing, right? So like you can upload your contract 24 hours later, like the system that uses AI and ML to, you know, essentially read the contract, interpret it, and then based on, you know, some kind of model would present back to you in simplified English. Look, if this is a, an aggressive clause or like whatever the case might be, uh, obviously not legal advice, but it is telling you, look, if you sign this thing, like they can, you know, you can, they can own your rights in perpetuity for the rest of time whatever the case is and at least then you can go or oh, hang on this clause doesn't actually serve me because i'm 16 like as an example like i love restraints of trade as an example because like if you in other words if you sign this thing with 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 this company this agency like you cannot work with any with anyone else you know what i mean in yeah. in the u.s for a period of three years like that's a thing i want to know because i may want to actually move from agency a to agency b you know what i mean or from comcast to like i don't know somebody else, <laughs> you know, and now I can't because I didn't read or I didn't understand the contract. You know, I have a funny, I was listening to Spotify um, and, and uh, Comedy Central. They had this um, clip from, um, who's that? The, the African, oh my God, I can't even forgot his name now. Like he's the like, most popular comedian ever. What's his name? J uh, Chappelle, Dave Chappelle. Thank you. Oh, God. Okay. My brain. So, so he, and it was funny because I was like, is this supposed to be, I'm like 10 minutes in and I'm like, is this supposed to be funny? Because it's not funny. And he was telling a story about when he uh, signed his deal, this is a relevant story, uh, but he signed the deal for the Dave Chappelle show to one of the networks. I forget the name of the network. And he was basically saying there was him and all white lawyers and they, and he, and he was a young guy. He'd never signed like a multi-million dollar deal before. Um, and he said, and they, you know, he said to them, is this a, like, I don't know, is it a good deal? And they all said, mm-hmm. 
Yep, no, it's a very good deal. So he signed it, and this whole 20 minute soapbox that he was delivering was how the network screwed him. Um, and he he basically lost the whole, like the rights to his own show. Like it's called the Dave Chappelle show, which he lost all the rights to, you know? And this is what you're saying. I don't even like, I think, you, you know, you're in the creative niche right now and it's great, so I believe in that. But I think like the issue here is really around like de-risking all contracts that anybody signs in any context or at least giving you a, an objective, consistent um, you know, point of view that's simplified in its delivery back to you so you can go, is this actually, you know, something that protects me, uh, helps me grow, or is it something that actually is is to my detriment in the in the long term? Yeah, no, I mean, Matt, you should just do our pitch from now on. Like that's exactly it. Like the reality is that it's more about an information and power imbalance that exists in so many sectors. Like I'm aware and I know of the creator space, which is why we're starting off here, but this is something that impacts so many people. Um, I can only imagine like, you know, athletes or even on a much more boring day to day, my rental agreement, I have no idea what it says. Um, And that was 80 pages, which is a whole other topic. Um, And so there's just so many situations in which there's one side that has a team of lawyers and has all of us power. And it's just kind of natural that whatever document they put out is going to favor them. And in one respect, I guess we can't necessarily blame them, but um, I mean, I am blaming them (laughs) because the whole point of it is that it's supposed to be a mutual agreement. And yet there's one party that doesn't have enough information to actually understand what it is to make it a mutual agreement. And in fact, I've actually seen a clause. I don't remember the name, which just goes to show my legal knowledge, Um, But it's a clause that actually says this is still valid, even if afterwards you say you didn't understand it. Like Mm. you don't you're not you don't have to understand this for your signature to be valid. But you do have to be above the age of like 18 and, you know, of the right like mind or whatever that is. So there's these expectations that you're you're an adult and you can make these decisions, but there's no expectation that you're even that you should get to understand this contract. Nothing is made and put in place for you to, to be able to do that. Mm. Well, I mean, like, you know, I've just, I've been in the States for three months now and um, you know, you, you signing uh, lease agreements for a car just in like a day, signing lease agreements for a car, you signing lease uh, agreements for a, a property. Uh, and I still like, and because I've been burnt before, and I think if you're in business long enough, like at some point you're going to see your ass, like through a contract, you will, it's inevitable. If you don't have legal representation to look and protect you. Uh, so if you think you can do it yourself, you're definitely going to get burnt. So if you're that guy, which I am, and I've made lots of mistakes in this space. I still say, I still say to my wife, I've said, listen, yeah, like, did you read it? Did you, did you read it? Like, what does it say? Like, come your one year annual renewal period, like, can they just kick you out? Or are you, do you have rights to, you know, extend on a rolling basis? Uh, what happens with like the deposits and things like that? Like, when do they pay them? You know what I mean? And then, and then of course, like, um, you know, the the inspection process, like what qualifies as tenant damage and what doesn't, you know what I mean? And so there's so much, like to your point, these, these predatory clauses are written by lawyers who represent the power in the relationship, right? The, the property owner, or in your case, like the modeling agency. 
Um, and so the lawyers that write these contracts, my, my sense is, is that they write it to protect the agency. They don't write it to be equitable. They write it to protect their client. And the client, by the way, if, the, if there was a, an actual legal dispute, if it goes in front of a judge, what would you want to have in your corner? Would you want to have uh, you know, a clause that, in, that protects you no matter if you're of sound mind or not? Or if you cannot, like if you don't understand this, like tough cooking, you know what I mean? You sign this thing. Um, and so there's, there's, and this goes on and on and on and on and on. And so to your point around this power balance, I, I'm excited by someone actually taking this initiative because I've spent like so much money with lawyers uh, trying to like develop contracts and things like that. And I've also been on the power side. So I know what it feels like to have a lawyer go, well, you want this in there because if this happens, then, you know, you're good. Right. Um, so um, on, so on, the, on the legalese and the, and the AI and the product side of things, like how accurate is it? Because if you're reading contract and, you know, legalese is written in legalese, like it's like Greek to a lot of people. And so if you're training AI and ML to like, you know, recognize wording and phrasing and things like that, it has to be accurate to a, to a very high degree. Otherwise, like the, the simplified version that's, you know, presented back to your users, like that may not be the the truth so how accurate is it yeah absolutely so from the user perspective it's 100 percent accurate to give a little bit more detail about that um as proud of i am as i am of my natural language processing skills right now the model works at about 90 percent accuracy uh and so what i mentioned before this 24-hour window the model actually from the time it gets uploaded takes three seconds and then we have the results. So ideally in the future, we're going to return those results immediately. It'll be a much faster process and turnover. But while we're still in the beta phase, we're still collecting as much data as possible and potentially you know, onboard some a few PhDs with some more knowledge in natural language processing. Um, right now we're manually double checking everything as they come through. So we also have this kind of catch in the, in the algorithm to find a clause that's like, we don't know what this is. This has never been seen before, or it's like written so differently that we don't know how, what it means. And so we have kind of that alarm bell that'll ring that way we can manually go in and be like, okay, what is this? And when I say we, I mean like my legal co-founder, not myself, don't worry. <laughs> As you can tell from this, I'm not the legal expert, um, but a legal expert will go through and double check uh, that everything is correctly aligned and add information wherever it's relevant. Fantastic. Um, so you've um, won a, a university award at Cornell, um, and I believe you've been uh, accepted into an accelerator. I don't know if you can mention who that is just yet, but um, can you? Yes, I can. It's oh, yeah. first. <laughs> <laughs> so which one is it? Uh, yeah, we're, so we're in scale, VC. They're a uh, uh, based in the Midwest, um, and they have kind of a legal a legal tech focus as well, which is something we're really excited about. Huh, that's so amazing. That's so cool. Um, and so, um, uh, what's um, what are you hoping to get through this acceleration process? Because it's quite interesting. Like you know, there's a lot of founders that don't go into accelerators. There are a lot of founders that do. Um, so I'm curious to get your your kind of and for other founders also to to learn who haven't quite gone through an accelerator. Um, why did you choose them? I mean, obviously you were looking at others um, and perhaps it is because they have a legal tech focus. I don't know, but what are you, what are you expecting, you know, like after let's just say a 90 day or, you know, longer period as an outcome of an accelerator? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. And so I think what we're expecting, and this isn't uh, out of accelerators in general, it's really just where we are in this phase 
and what we're expecting is we're working towards, we spent the, the summer building, basically. We have this prototype I mentioned before, uh, the beta. We developed a little bit of like an idea of a brand, you know, the Instagram, the website, all that, all that stuff. And so now we're, we're really ready to get the word out there as much as possible. And specifically, uh, I listened to your, your podcast the other day and they said not to say get there, spread the word. So I'll try to avoid it, but um, specifically to try to reach customers. And while I think that this problem is pretty well known, the solution just isn't yet. And so bringing awareness to the solution and, and onboarding as many new customers uh, who, who have contracts to sign yeah, it's um, it's an interesting one, right? Because I think we we all, I suppose, if you've been in the game long enough, or if you've signed a contract, like you know how you feel when you read it. You're like, what is this? So you know how that feels. So I think it's like an obvious problem. But what what I love about what you guys are doing is you you've brought a non-obvious solution to this obvious problem. Like who who thinks about natural language processing and AI and having it dumbed down? You know what I mean? Like that's that's a very non-obvious. Um, a solution with an obvious outcome which is like you're protected man like you know what you're signing um and so in the non-obvious business it's always the startups most startups are actually in the non-obvious business they really are um and that's what makes them so so valuable um but uh, but education is a really big thing here so what are your thoughts on like educating creatives or influencers or podcast hosts such as matt brown <laughs> you know about uh, about the value of what you guys are doing at caveat app yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm very biased in this answer, but I think it's great. <laughs> I think the more education, the better. I think like not only from the side of the more people we can get using caveat, better understanding their contracts, the quicker we are to getting to a position in which this becomes a norm. And potentially those standardized contracts aren't even made in the first place, which would be so ideal. Um, and so a place where it's normal and because also right now it's not normal. It's not it's not considered standard to negotiate an influencer agreement or maybe a, a modeling agreement. At least a lot of influencers have apprehension around doing it because they're nervous about going in and trying to negotiate and then like being labeled as like difficult or something, um, which isn't the case. You should negotiate. Um, and so I think just like raising awareness to those types of things of how to even negotiate, because that's like a whole other topic. Not only is it really important to understand what it is that you're signing, because, you know, we spoke to one model and she was like, listen, I have like I'm not, I'm coming from like an actual war zone and I want to know what's bad in my contract, but I will sign it no matter what. And we're like, that's totally fine, obviously. And we want you to understand your contract. At least that way, you know what it is to look out for. So we're not saying that you you can't sign this contract or you have to negotiate every single aspect, but being able to know what to look out for is equally as important. And then if you can, and feel comfortable and hopefully it becomes more standard to feel comfortable negotiate the contract. And so I think in that sense, just almost leveraging peer pressure, but like <laughs> inverse, I guess, of being like, look, everyone else is doing it. You too can negotiate your contract. Yeah. It's a, this is a very important point, right? Because once you become self-aware of like what you signing, there is that motivation to sign no matter what. You know, if you're 16 years old and you've never worked in the industry and that's your dream is to walk on the runways of, of Paris and Milan and all those things, like you, like you have to have a, excuse my language here, but big set of balls to go to like an agency when you're 16 years old and go, no, dude, 
you know, I'm not signing this or take this clause out or rephrase it because you one of a thousand other girls who want the same job as you, you know what I mean? So, uh, so I guess what, what I'm curious to maybe explore with you is, um, I love this idea of like the marriage between products and services, you know, so like, yes, the product gets you to the start line, like, okay, cool. So now you're self-aware, but then the service piece as an example, it could be the negotiation piece, right? To say, hey, we will actually connect you to a lawyer who will negotiate on your behalf, you know? So you're not the one actually trying to negotiate the clause. Like it still needs to be like someone who who has an objective influence over the power. You understand what I'm trying to say? It's like, cause like you don't want to have a 60, you're not, <laughs> I remember I had a business, I was 26, right? I was getting into the cell to give you an example, 26 years old, just sold my record label, thought I could walk on water. And I started a self-help company. I was going to teach people about life. Cause I thought I was a rock star. You know, I built, sold a business, 26, legendary. Um, and <laughs> the whole thing like died a miserable death. <laughs> so the universe fixed all of my ego for me. Uh, and the reason for that was because no one wants to take advice about life from a 26-year-old. You know what I mean? Like unless you're Tony Robbins. Um, who, who did <laughs> give me advice, but like, you know, he's a unique character. We all know what he's done. My point being, it's like when you're young, like, and you're a lawyer sitting in a big corporation, like you don't give a shit about how this person feels. So like the idea is like, well, we help you under- become self-aware on what the consequences of these clauses. But now here is a person who will actually work with you to help get what you want. Do you know what I mean? So that you don't have this like, you know, Ukrainian model as an example, just signing stuff because she doesn't feel like she has a choice. Yeah, exactly. I think autonomy and, and, and feeling like you're in control is actually just something that's, it. it's so empowering to just feel like you, you have a choice in the matter. Um, and, and that is something that we do offer if anyone is interested in, you know, they get their caveated contract or even, I guess, before that step and they want to reach out to a specialized lawyer within the, the fashion kind of space, creator space, which is where we're focused now. Um, we help connect them directly to specialized lawyers, whether that's to help you negotiate your contract or it's, you know, visa immigration status information and you need you need help with that. So that is an extra um, thing that we we offer. It's not like finished perfectly user interface wise but if you dm us we'll we'll help you and hopefully you know it'll be done soon so maybe that'll that'll age this podcast a little bit um and just you said something at one point and i just wanted to address it in terms of uh you know you're in this room and all of a sudden you know you have to negotiate but there's thousands of other people who, who would be in that position but the thing to remember is that you're in the room because they chose you so like while it feels like they're doing you this immense favor in most other industries, the independent contractor is the one that has the position of power. The independent contractor is the one that comes in and sets their terms. It's flipped in this industry, but that's not, that's not how it has to be. And so if you're in that room, the agent, the agency, the brand, they're hiring you or they want to hire you because it can make them money. Like that's really the, the baseline of it. It's, it's all business. And that's something that took me so long to figure out because I walk in and it's like, Hey babe, we're all fam here, you know, all these things. And, and in fact, like, it's called like a mother agency, like the vocabulary is very family oriented. And so they, they take out any sense of business, but realistically, like you work 
and it makes them money, like your, your image, your videos, whatever it is. And so as hard as it is, because, you know, I just had to negotiate something the other day and it's, it's difficult. Like I'm up here, like spewing, you know, everyone should negotiate, but I know it's really, really hard, but trying to remember that, that you have just as much power in the relationship as them, because you are their source of income. Like it is actually your job. that is their source of income. So that's just something to keep in mind. Yeah. You're the asset as much as you are the employee. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned something to me when we first met um, that there's similarities in, in your, from your point of view between startups and the fashion industry. Uh, I'd love, I'd love, I never, you know, we never had the time to really double click on that, but what are these similarities that you see? You're going to get me in trouble. Um, yeah, no, I see a lot, a lot of similarities because a lot of it's very similar in terms of realistically a model and influencer creator is a small business. There's just in, in those terms, pretty similar to a startup trying to figure out how to navigate a newer industry when there's people in the industry that are, have been there for a while, they're incumbents, and yet they can give you money or advice or whatever it is. Um, a name even. Um, and so a lot of the conversations are similar. Like, first of all, it's there's in-group language and out-group language. And so when you're just starting, everything is new to you. And so I'd go to these either fashion meeting, like fashion chats with my agent. I mean, that's not fashion chat. It's just like a meeting with my agent and stuff. And, you know, they would talk about all this stuff and like an option. They, this is a good example. I was, I was 17 and I got an option for a big campaign. So I thought that meant I got the job. I was still in high school. I texted my, or I didn't text. I emailed my um, like teacher because it was on a Friday and I had an exam that day. And I emailed them saying, Hey, I'm going to miss this exam. Can I take it Thursday? Like all this stuff. Cause I thought I had this job in New York city. turns out an option just means that you are an option for the job. <laughs> and so I took my test a whole day early, my trig test, like this whole thing to take it just to find out that I didn't get it. And it was like such a, such like a, a like hurtfully, my hopes were all the way up. I was like, I'm going to be famous all of a sudden. And I mean, not that you're famous after one campaign, but you know, I was 17, let's give me some, cut me some slack. And, and I think it's like super similar now. I'm doing the startup, I'm going in and talking to an investor and, you know, they're like, ah, CAC and LTV and all these things. And I'm like, yep, writing this down to look what this means later. Um, and so a lot of it's very similar just in terms of those dynamics where you're talking to someone who knows a lot more about it and yet you're the commodity asset, but also not. So there's the same information imbalance that exists. There's also high turnover of contracts. Mm. There's also a little bit of, I mean, this is kind of getting into a different topic that I don't know if we want to get into, but especially with regards to like, while the fashion industry, the labor force is predominantly made up of women. Um, women are still not necessarily like, I mean, it's still a labor force that's exploited. And I think as a female founder, I'm seeing some of these similar situations in which going out to, you know, a, a what I think is a formal meeting with a VC and then they ask me for my number. And so it's like, oh, okay, this is like a meeting with a photographer. It's not, it's not actually for work. It's just for something else. Yeah. It's, um, it hasn't changed as much as it should. And I think like people, um, I don't know. I think people like just to your point around, like, I, I think this whole thing is really about a power imbalance, 
you know, like what you're doing is you making it equal. It's like democratize access to, uh, you know, legalese, you know, dumb down so that you can shift the power balance back somewhat to your, to your terms. Um, and so your point, like also <clears throat> like even just like the incubator that you're going to, you know, like, um, and venture capitalists and things like that, people, um, are, are fallible. Like I'm, I'm a flawed human being, you know, with a passion for helping entrepreneurs, you know, but I'm not perfect. You know what I mean? Um, and I think people make mistakes and they take advantage, you know, of their power. So like a VC, you go for a lunch with a VC and it's supposed to be a formal meeting. And then he's actually just interested in you. Like that's, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know, man, that doesn't feel right. Um, and yeah, we're not, we're not where we need to be. Yeah, I think uh, both of those spaces have a lot of room for progress. I mean, even just the statistics around how many women will see a VC dollar or female founders compared to to uh, their male counterparts. I think it's like what, like two percent? I don't know the statistic. Like, I, I try not to look at it because it makes me sad. But um, it's something around like two percent, um, which is just astonishing. But yeah, I think it, it really does come down to power, information, balances, and so. A caveat, we're just kind of trying to to rebalance those scale and help dissolve some of those problems from the ground up. Yeah, I'm trying to find an article here. Yeah, USVC female founders dashboard. Here we go. Check this out. Let me share my screen. See, now, now you've done it. Now you've done it. So here you go. Um, so venture capital funding overall has surged in recent years, blah, blah, blah. But that number doesn't tell the whole story. US fund, okay, here you go. US VC funding for female founded or co-founded companies has been trending up in recent years in 21, blah, blah, blah. Um, and here's the, the percentages. So female founders only. I mean, it's okay. Female founders out of 2022 is... Uh, Six point seven percent. All right, you um, there, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah, I'll send the link to you. Uh, I've just put it up on screen for everyone. I mean, like that's that's a real number, man. Like, you know, that's a ridiculous. Like, I didn't even know. Sitting here, I'm like a bit shocked. Yeah, it's not <clears throat> it's not great. Um, it's definitely a little disappointing, and it's funny because I've been working in a pretty male dominated space. I'm in tech. I, you know. At NASA, most of my, I did have a female coworker, but I also had a lot of male coworkers, and you know the Boy Scouts was talked about a lot for some reason. <laughs> Very weird, but anyway, that's a whole different topic. Um, so I, I've been in a, a very male-dominated industry for most of my careers, I guess, except for fashion, and it's still strange because I've never felt out of place in tech, um, and that might be from my experiences, my undergrad, and my. It just my work experiences made like maybe it was a bubble like it's very possible but it made a very welcoming environment and I never felt I never felt weird for being a woman in that space and all of a sudden like in the startup I'm like oh this is a little different even just all of a sudden having all these like women focused grants and and stuff and I'm like oh that's really interesting and it's not something I like it's not until you look at the number and you realize like oh there's actually a reason for all of this mm. I know, I get you. Um, so let's talk about the future and then uh, we'll wrap up. All right, so this is about labor rights for creators and influencers as it currently stands. I mean, what is the vision and, and, and sort of end game that you hope to see uh, that Caveat app creates in the world? Yeah, that's a great question. And I wish I had like a perfect answer for it because that would be a good moment to have it. But I think realistically it's about it's about just making 
the labor force more equitable and helping people take more control over their individual contracts, the course of their careers, the end goal of their livelihood. I think, you know, it's to kind of bring back the similarity between the VC space and whatever. Um, someone at, at Cornell Tech, which is where one of our um, has, has funded us, and we have an advisor here and he was like, you know, it doesn't matter whatever, whatever decision you make, whatever, just as long as you have control over the situation. And I think so much of that can be said as well to what we're trying to do actually at caveat is just really give control to the individual, the small business to set up what it is that they want and help protect themselves in the long run. And I think that shows in different benefits. There's the benefit of you know, whether it's to make more money, to get paid what it is you should be getting paid at the market value, um, or it's to avoid being taken advantage of, to avoid a situation in which you can't say no without getting fired. Or like in that case, it's personal safety, but there's also taken advantage of in terms of you accidentally gave away like a 50 year usage rights or something without knowing, and now you can't ever do a beauty campaign again. Like there's, these things happen. And you know, I, I, I lived this and, and more drastically when my friend had the experience of going to a shoot, thinking it was just like some kind of casual lookbook. And then all of a sudden finding out that it was, a, she, she was walking through Times Square and saw her face. And she was like, I didn't get compensated for that, which should be a really exciting moment. It's a big milestone for, for any model is to see yourself up there. And she was like, I didn't know that this was the case. I didn't get paid for a billboard. And so there's just so many situations in which it's just fucked up. And so trying to kind of mitigate that imbalance of power by just providing knowledge, mm. it seems like if knowledge is really all the things, if that's all that's missing, like, let's fix that. That's something that we can actually, there's so many problems we can't fix right now, but we can fix this. So I think that's really like maybe a little bit more short-term goal, long-term goal to expand to other industries, to really help anyone signing a contract, make sure that it's within their that they're protected by it as well. And we're not just trying to like screw over the brands and make it so that, you know, when you're leasing your car, the car dealership gets screwed over. Like that's not our goal. It's just to make sure that it's even, that it's a mutual agreement like it implies. Mm. That's a very big problem that you're solving. And I think it's, it's I'm great to, I'm, I'm glad to hear that you see what business you're really in. Because if you, you know, on the face of it, if you go to Caveat app, you're like, oh, okay, they're a contract analysis business but you're not. You're about uh, the labor force, right? And creating a more equitable labor force. That's the real business that you're in. Um, and that's a big problem, man. Like that's a big problem in every industry. It's not just, you know, um, the fashion industry or creative industry. So, um, you know, wishing you all the very best for that. Um, one more question, Dorothy, and then we'll wrap up. Um, why do you do what you do? You and your founding team, like, you know, you guys have got a great chemistry and that kind of thing. I think one of your founders is also an influencer, but for you specifically, why do you do what you do? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Yeah. I mean, I feel like that's like a question my mom would ask me on a daily basis. Like, Dorothy, you go get a really well-paying job. I'm like, I know, but I think honestly, I knew that I was kind of stuck. If you were or kind of screwed over, whatever you want to see this as, maybe it was lucky. The second I like, so my co-founders and I kind of had similar ideas and we came together and kind of found a mixture. So at some point I, I didn't know their version of the idea and I had my own idea. So I had this idea and I was like, ah, oh, shit, this is what I'm going to have to do. Like, I am so lucky to have had the education I have. Um, I know that it's 
not necessarily everyone that gets to study natural language processing. It's a little unique. I was in the right place at the right time. My university was like leading the charts in this very kind of niche topic. My friend convinced me to do it. I was bilingual. I was interested. So there's like so many other variables involved in why I study natural language processing, which is necessary for this solution, um, at least in the, in the manner that we're creating it. Mm. And, and also there's a lot of models who get stuck um, and have a hard time moving to next steps or continuing on in their career or whatever direction they want to get. Because while we mentioned a lot of the labor force problems within the industry, there's also a lot of mental health issues regarding even eating disorders, emotional manipulation, a lot of different things that happen. And and some people it's like very hard to, to even like get perspective and step out. And so I knew that having these two combinations of having experience modeling at a relatively elite level and then having this education and then finding that I can actually solve a problem that I experienced, that I saw a lot of my friends experience, especially because there's this common misconception that models are very competitive with one another, but that's not at all the case. Like models are the most supportive community I've ever been a part of. Like I once got cut from, I got cut from Prada, which sounds like really like nice problem, but it's a common thing. I assure you. And I was crying and I was walking down the street and this model, I don't know her name. Like if ever she listens to this, like, you know, hit me up and she just like comes up to me and hugs me and she hugs me and she's like, it's going to be okay. And then we just part ways. And I've like always remembered this moment. Um, It like was really important to me. And, you know, from, from experiences like that and then having this education, I just like, I know that I can solve this problem. And I know that my team, I need my teammates and together we can solve this problem. And it's like really hard to not do that if you know that information. And so I think honestly, that's just what gets me up is like, anytime I feel like a little, uh, you know, doing a startup is hard, not super fun every day. And just talking to like a a creator of any capacity and hearing their experience, even just talking to you and, you know, you're like, you had to pay six figures for this. It's so frustrating. And yet like we can fix it. So let's do it. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I really do wish you and your team all the best. Um, it's a big problem, um, you know, and I think you care about this problem, you know, because you've experienced it. Um, and that oftentimes is this, you know, the spark that you need to really do something great in the world. So uh, congratulations to you and your team f- and for getting into the uh, accelerator. I'm sure it's going to be a blast. Uh, who knows where you'll be positioned at the end of that. Uh, <laughs> but, <clears throat> but Dorothy, uh, Grant, thanks for being on the show. Thank you, Matt, so much. I really appreciate it. And yeah, thank you so much. Anytime. Cheers, everyone. Bye. Have a good one. Ever wanted to become a best-selling author? Well, I'm in the influence business and I work with business owners and CEOs and business leaders to help them scale their influence. And we do this as a team by helping you to become a best-selling author, sought-after speaker and industry influencer in only 30 days. My team and I have developed a system that delivers a best-selling book and a launch campaign 300% faster and 50% less cost than anyone else in North America. This system is incredibly efficient. One of my clients Clients Haiku went from a 2% share of voice globally to an 11% share of voice globally in only seven days. If you'd like more information, head on over to showworksmedia.com for more. That is showworks with an X.com.